Are you ready to begin? I am. Hello, this is Sad Girl Syllabus, a commentary on media through the ages. Each season will have a new syllabus to dive into. I'm Bethany. And I'm Mary. And we are two girls. Too sad. <laughs> Let's jump into the Ooh. syllabus and our final episode of season two. Yay. Wow. Hi, Bethany. Congrats, Mary. <laughs> finishing up season two. Congratulations, Bethany. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if we, we fi- finish this one. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, uh, hoping that no, uh, demonic monsters come out and, uh, take us while we're, they've been trying slandering their name. <laughs> <laughs> they have been trying, I guess, since the beginning of time, according to Christian demonology. The demons are always out for your soul, Mary. You know that, right? I know. I have to be like constantly vigilant <laughs> against the demons. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> the intro to this episode on, on monster priests, monsters at large, and demons. Demonology is by far the best part of all uh, religious studies. Wow. I am. Oh, I think so. I think That's right. Probably. <laughs> Because it's because it's so the lengths that people go to to write about demons. I mean, there's like a whole phylogeny of angels and demons mm-hmm. when you get really into it. Ed oh, yeah. and Lorraine Warren were demonologists. Yes, and we love them on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. it. Was all a fraud? I don't want to hear about that stuff. Uh, <laughs> We are Ed and Lorraine Warren truthers. I am. Um. <laughs> in any case, monster priests, monster priests and demons go hand in hand. The trope is interesting because I, my sort of overall question for this episode and just understanding the monster priest trope, like where, where is it coming from? What is the source of like religious anxiety that is producing a monster priest trope? And is it the like power hungry quest for world domination <laughs> in religious <laughs> clergy? Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, okay. That is a good point. I do think, um, the monster priest, and we'll talk about specific examples as we get into it, but often they turn out to be like vampires is a very common one, priests. And I do think that has to do with the transubstantiation issue. <laughs> I definitely think like there's just so much blood in the Catholic mass that it's hard to not draw those conclusions. But yeah, I also, yeah, absolutely. do think there's, you know, secret orders, there's this long history and of domination, colonialization, um, and greed. And I just, I think it's pretty hard not to draw those kind of like metaphorical monsters from um, the Catholic church at least. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And well, and it's interesting because I was trying to think about what books or films, TV shows, 
are exploring this monster priest trope and and it was hard to think of some because it's not it's not a super popular trope it's not super out there mm-hmm. and the other thing the other on the other side of that though is like and I think I said this in one of the other episodes is that the priest is such an iconic uh, archetype and and priests high priests high priestesses have been um are a central part of human civilization I think the world over because there's this idea of um you have certain roles in society especially with leaders in society you have like the uh male dominant leader you have the matriarchal female leader um and like and sort of this matriarchal archetype is like the leader of the family the male archetype male leadership archetype is the um the leader of society and then you have what is the thing that is outside of political gain which is the priest the spiritual gain Mm -hmm. and like someone to Mm -hmm. lead the group through onto like the transcendent um and so but but monster priest (laughs) like the the uh the archetype of like the priest becoming distorted and perverted is seems to me to be uh, only connected to Christianity. And that's why I say um, like, is it this like power hungry? The Vatican is historically like mm-hmm. very power hungry and there's no other way to like uh, work with this archetype in the Catholic tradition in the Christian tradition than to like make them into that's the sort of final frontier of like priest tropes and like right. religious, it, religious tropes in the media is like to just go there. Right. I do think it's, um, it's a just, dis- yeah, the total flip, the distortion of what they're supposed to be. If they're supposed to be intermediaries intermer- to God, <laughs> mm-hmm. then, um, you know, what if they get that wrong and really they become this like vessel for the demonic, right? Um, but it also is a figure in culture, the priest, the religious leader who is looking at signs, um, looking, uh, based on faith and looking for, uh, symbols and, um, God's power in the universe. And maybe they get it wrong. And, you know, so there's also the misguided, um, to some of those figures that become vampires or that um, fall into sort of a trap set to them or anything like that. Um, And then you have Mm. the opposite of that where you have these kind of warrior priests who are Mm. fighting demons and they constantly have this knowledge of, you know, like they are always giving the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong and how to tell what demons are and da, da, da. And that's also like another... A similar figure but the opposite I guess <laughs> yeah someone who's like <laughs> manipulating the information to serve mm-hmm. a to serve a specific to control to control yeah. people who are not who right. are not literate or whatever um it's interesting when you were talking about the the uh the spiritual vulnerability of priests who like fall into these traps well it makes me think of in a lot of shows about exorcisms, there are oftentimes like the priest is sort of defeated as this like frontline warrior kind of person. 
um, but also the one who gets possessed. You sort right. of like the the demon in the story is sort of after the soul of the priest. Um, to like right the ultimate like object, I guess for that. Yeah, yeah. The demon is like one. Le- it's the final boss for the demon, <laughs> right? Because right. like the demons <laughs> need to take out all the priests so that then they can take over the world. Um, but but yeah, the <laughs> the um, the priest is like final final. Right, like uh, exorcist. Yeah, uh, yeah. Great example of that as the. And there's also so much sacrifice in that story too. Mm-hmm. Um, except they don't do a very good job because there are sequels. <laughs> the Warrens are also good examples because they're technically the lay people, right? They're not. Yeah. They don't have a position in the church, but they are very Catholic, and. Um, priests frequently like consult with them or mm-hmm. they, they consult with priests and um bring them into their work uh, <laughs> at least in the conjuring movies they do <laughs> and i choose to believe those as fact uh, as i've already stated <laughs> uh, yeah i i met a demonologist recently who um who <laughs> Sorry, I did. I, I met a demonologist recently. <laughs> who says that he was taught by a student of Ed and Lorraine Warren. So that makes him a, what, twice removed, once removed? Yeah. Second generation. The Warren School Warren. of Demonology. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it was, this demonologist was um, called upon, lives and works in New Mexico was called upon to evaluate a piece of graffiti um, that may have been a demonic symbol. Um, After the evaluation, it was just uh, gang graffiti. (laughs) So there you have it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I guess that's good news. It is good news. It is good news. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. But that's also, that's the fickleness of demonology. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and this, the saturation of uh, hauntings and supernatural mm-hmm. adversaries, I guess, spiritual adversaries that is, that has popped up in pop culture and in media and mostly film, mostly movies. Um, yeah, people, it can, you can get really caught up in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm curious if there is any, like, it does seem like there's more and maybe this is totally a biased or like not great sample size uh, of my own watching, but it does seem like there is a lot of movies. There are a lot of movies and TV shows recently that do have some sort of demonology in them. And mm-hmm. if they do incorporate religious figures, um, it's either, it's often to show, I mean, I think Conjuring would be an, an exception to this, mm-hmm. but um, to show like a failure of the church and of faith a lot of times, not all the time, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I do see that kind of happen sort of frequently on TV shows. I'm thinking like, um, True Blood um, has some vampire priests one season and they're in the past, but they're Inquisition priests. Okay. So they're killing witches because 
witches have the power to control the dead possibly oh so so it's a witch versus vampire situation um <laughs> nice nice <laughs> though then also in that show they do have like these christian groups um who are anti-vampire anyways mm -hmm. one of their leaders mm -hmm. ends up of course becoming a vampire <laughs> um <laughs> And there is a lot of this, like, yeah, that, like, Christianity um, doesn't, or at least this version that they show in the show doesn't um, really hold up to the the demons and the vampires yeah. that yeah. it contends with. It seems like it's, um, this storyline is explored as a way to deal with guilt, probably to deal with, like, people doing bad things, and to grapple with what's that uh that sort of idea that there's only like nine stories in the course of human history and like right. it's just all these nine stories are just like played out in different variations but anyway i think that one of those uh uh nine narratives throughout human history is to grapple with the um with guilt and like and and forgiveness and things like that it's again why the bible the christian bible became super popular i think because of like mercy and forgiveness but uh the purpose of these grand narratives about priests who become who are spiritually vulnerable and become susceptible to demonic possession or to um some an immoral existence or amoral existence such as vamp vampirism um the purpose of playing that out is to understand human fallibility yeah i think so i mean i think it like really takes the um idea that either you know sin i guess or guilt maybe yeah. better for um understanding or forgiveness is transformative. Like it literally could transform you. And that's not just a, and that your spirituality affects your physical being, right? So yeah. Um, that, yeah, it makes the spiritual physical. Um, and that like, a mo yeah, monstrosity could be performed that way. Um, I do just really want to say that I love that you clarified that vampires are not necessarily immoral, but amoral. <laughs> vampire defense <laughs> sorry i just kept thinking about it, it like you're like amoral <laughs> i will not call them out that way i wasn't even conscious of that <laughs> i was not even conscious of that that is that's hilarious i i love vampires and this whole podcast is just outing me as like a vampire. <laughs> I keep making you talk about it. It's kind of my fault. <laughs> I do think that though. I do think <laughs> <laughs> defending things that don't exist. Um, uh, <laughs> but I mean, that is the vampire trope in and, in and of itself is this grappling with like immorality versus amorality. Like what, what is it like the, the, uh, like if you are stripped of your humanity, which like for some people, some schools of thought say that like the human condition is to 
have a finite existence and then eventually to die. So when you are stripped of your humanity and you have to, but, and you have to survive as like an entity and like entities need to survive, like ethics falls apart when you don't have humanity, but you're still an entity. So like what you're like in this weird amorality at anyway. Uh. Yeah. And for then, like a lot of these figures that we're talking about today, it's like, okay, then what's the role of faith? Yeah. If you yourself are like more than human. Yeah. In in many ways. And, and what makes it, I think that also perhaps um, the reason why this trope is significant or comes out a lot in Christian, uh, Christian and Catholic religious frameworks is because um, the cat, like there is so much, the Catholic faith, first of all, is like, uh, uh, is super dominant, super, um, super powerful. And it's, it's so present and it's so pervasive because of the, the conflict and the wars that they have wrought. Um, but the Catholic faith also has so many, um, it's so much philosophizing about morality and ethics um, to the point where, I mean, the way that I, and I, I say this knowing full well that I'm a product of my own context. I'm a product of like having been raised Catholic, but to me, there's this whole philosophy of like, Jesus Christ came down to, (laughs) uh, to preach love and empathy and a certain morality, a moral framework, as opposed to Judaism, which was uh, a lot of rituals and rules in service to a God, but also ostensibly like this is the argument, like why you would choose Christianity over Islam, too, is like Islam is um, uh, rules and rituals and Hmm. you should be living a certain faith. This is how I've always conceptualized people's defense of Catholic faith over other religions is that like the Catholic, the Christian faith is about a way of life and about defining uh, the moral framework according to Christianity as opposed to like just following rules for the sake of following rules and so that and that is a real that's a real storyline that's like using plot and human drama and so I think that that's also why it's um easy and obvious to turn like Catholic priests into monsters because it's like your moral framework your narrative is failing and what are you going to do about mm-hmm. it right Right. And yeah, the individual moral framework. And then you have this backdrop of um, the abuse that the Catholic Church has yeah. uh, perpetuated, um, well, its entire existence, but obviously more recently, um, mm. the sexual abuse in the last century. Um, mm. So then you have like a very literal bad priest, which we've, we've already talked about. Um, but then you can, you know, you can talk about it less literally and more about what that means for the institution as a whole, mm-hmm, for specific mm-hmm. individuals when you make them monsters, you know, you yeah. can talk about it metaphorically instead. Yeah, yeah. And well, and it's interesting, that was the interesting thing about procession is that like the, the one of the major tools that helped these men to, to grapple with what happened to them was turning the priest into a literal monster. And so it's mm-hmm. like a back and forth of like priest as monster, like getting the gr- the like demonic green eyes that are like glowing 
um, like representing the priest as the monster helps to like understand this more abstract concept of like of of a a person or a clergy who is power hungry who will use their power to their advantage um that's a very abstract way of thinking about monsters that's something that that i know that you wanted to point out too and talk about um like defining something as monstrous uh, gives it a container right yeah i think i mean i think it's obviously procession has that as a as a, a dealing with trauma like a therapeutic tactic but it also is a way to um yeah to to simply understand how people can do bad things is you know to to make monsters out of them and i think sometimes um backing away from procession because obviously that's yeah a therapeutic tactic mm -hmm. um it is also kind of like the case of the banality of evil on some oh, of yeah. ones is that by like making them into monsters you also then you know you do separate them from the actual crimes the the everyday facts of mm -hmm. what someone did um and i think then you know like you it makes them not human so it makes it not relatable like oh yeah that someone anyone could do something truly awful but it, when I say it's a vampire who did it, <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> um, I don't like, I don't necessarily think about the implications on my own morality and my, on my own choices. At the same time, when you're really tired, like, you know, I think monsters are great metaphors. Um, right. Totally. For all the reasons we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because, and also defining something as a monster can um, put it outside of, there's sort of an inconceivability to evil as mm -hmm. well. Like when you see evil perpetrated right. in, uh, in the world, um, senseless murder, violence, genocide, whatever you, you can conceptualize, or I, I don't know if it's like a, the human brain has to has to be able to like survive past that right. and so and so you have to say like yeah well the people who commit these atrocities are monsters they are outside of humanity and it's sort of like a survival mechanism i guess to be able to continue living and believing in humanity maybe or like yeah. having hope and faith in humanity i don't know <laughs> that it is a, a way to define what it is to be human in yeah. A lot of ways. Yeah. And um, to get to the uh, the meat of the of, <laughs> of the episode, to come to terms with atrocity that people perpetrate, you define them as monsters, and you say like this is outside of this is outside of humanity. But then there's like an interesting way that you have that um, what a lot what many narratives do is that then it's like then you humanize the monster and it's like the mm -hmm. um the the villain hero or the hero villain the bat what's that anti-hero anti-hero that yeah okay. and and um and i do think that in the most recent netflix series uh midnight mass <laughs> the priest <laughs> is is an anti-hero and he becomes humanized 
he's humanized yeah. on on either end of you finding out that he is a vampire right spoilers <laughs> oh <sh> <laughs> shit we'll put that in the show notes um for this one because it is yeah again what like the most recent thing we've talked about yeah um, oh yeah spoilers but also i don't care sorry the priest is a vampire right and that priest i mean i feel like we've sort of talked about it but believes he he comes across this demon vampire thing never really explained which is great um in jerusalem and it feeds off of him and feeds him his blood and he thinks it's an angel because it has wings um and he qualifies that <laughs> like he's like well angels are really scary in the bible which they are but yeah um yeah. and it it is kind of interesting. It's like, well, what is, yeah, angelic versus demonic? Like, yeah. where is that line? Yeah. Uh, godly versus um, evil, like more similarities than you'd think. Um, and then he brings that um, demon and this vampire plot to his small little congregation. Thinking that it's going to save them, thinking that it's an angel right. who will facilitate their salvation. And then it becomes right. super culty. It's this, it's, it's the whole uh, drink of this blood, which is the vampire blood, but, but a God-fearing Catholic practicing island will think of the, about the transubstantiation and the blood of Christ. And, but, but that feels like a drink the Kool-Aid situation. Super, super cult. Uh, right. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, qualifications and measures taken to see, like, you know, um, really like explanation upon explanation of how this can match up with the Bible, because essentially the argument comes down to, well, if good comes from this, right, like um, people are healed, uh, will live forever. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. All of this, these things. Um, then how can it be bad, even though we're doing very awful things to make this happen? So it does yeah. become like a question of morality in that sense, too, and of your ethics of like, well, if you had to lie and kill and mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> drink people's blood to <laughs> get these things to come about, is it God? Right, because essentially they have to scheme now, they have to scheme how to like do mass murder, ostensibly, because right. it's like, oh, tourists who come to the island, we're going to have to kill them because that's going to be our food source, but it's okay because it's our food source. And that's how, and that's, they justify that as amoral. And, and you have right. this framework, yeah. <laughs> because and and they'll use um bible passages right and there's particularly one character who's like essentially the villain villain of yeah. the Bev. story but uh, <laughs> you <at> hate her <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny because it's like by the end the priest is like basically forgiven uh like to some extent even oh, though yeah. i mean a huge spoiler he is the reason everyone is dead. Um, <laughs> but Bev also is. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
and yeah, there's a lot of, it then becomes, you know, from like, oh, you know, forgiveness, mercy to fire and brimstone revelations, God, like now we're mm-hmm. at, we're at end times and uh, you guys aren't Christian. So later, um, right. yeah. And, and you are sacrificed now for us, the good Christians. There's, um, I had a thought too, that didn't occur to me while I was watching this, but um, in, in that show he encounters this demon vampire looks like a gargoyle has wings mm-hmm. like a gargoyle and also like a bat is definitely a vampire and and yeah ultimately and he's he's an older priest who is um who is having a dementia episode and obviously reaches back far into whatever memory he can still grasp which is Angels are scary biblically, so therefore, um, they must be, they must be scary. Uh, or like this must be an angel because it is scary. Um, but there's also like the whole thing. Um, I feel like this is like a sneaky little, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. In um, with the the writers of the show, but this is like a sneaky thing too about like the blurred, the blurred lines of like good and evil in a Christian framework, which is like Satan is an angel technically um right and so how are you gonna the question the implied question or maybe it's just a question that I am reading into this that I'm projecting onto it is like how are you gonna tell uh good from evil when when technically like Lucifer is like the fallen angel and biblically in a Christian framework in a Judeo-Christian framework uh, the main source of evil in the world used to be good. Right. Hmm. And um, the characters kind of follow that, right? Like that you have probably the two characters who have committed the most heinous crimes mm-hmm. in the show are the ones who are actively trying to redeem themselves in some way outside of Christianity, but but still trying to redeem themselves um, with the uh, Joe, Joe, the main, like for the first hat chunk, the main character. <laughs> I He's so milquetoast to me that like, of course he would have a name like Joe. I like forgot that he, I honestly, I can't remember. I thought he was good, but I do have a, a soft spot in my heart for Maddie Saracen from Friday Night Lights. So, um, <laughs> Oh, and um, oh wait, I'm confusing people's names. Sorry, Joe is um like the town drunk who uh, oh had accidentally shot that girl and um paralyzed her. Right, right, um, yeah. And so both of them you see trying to like to work through things, and those are like really the only two characters you see actively, um working working on yeah their own issues working on becoming better people on um trying to be kind and forgiving and and loving mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the other characters don't go through that that work at all no which is kind of interesting no they see them as expendable they see those two people as expendable because uh, because they're blindly accepting 
this like this cult's like morality moral framework and it's not about um it's not about nuance I guess it's not about like actually uh to me and this this reaches back also to to what one of the main plot lines in um Corpus Christi which we talked about the last episode Mm -hmm. is like there's um like that there's that that plot line also has the the drunk person who is who uh got into a car accident killed six kids six teenagers and the the um work that it takes to forgive him but then and after the town sort of starts to forgive that person then they can't forgive the um the boy who was impersonating a priest but there's like this i it's this idea of like good and evil the line between those two things is so blurred and what does um especially what does especially christianity which is as uh, my take is that christianity is about the philosophy sort of um or it touts itself as about the philosophy rather than about the rules and but who but but people have adopted there there is certain christian fanat there are sects of Christian fanatics who just blindly accept this like moral framework. And it's it's gotten away from probably uh, this like philosophical rig- philosophically rigorous exploration that is Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I do think it's funny uh, the rural situation because I think for a lot of Christian denominations, they view Catholicism as like blindly following rules, mm-hmm. rituals, da, da da da, which it certainly has more of those than a lot of other denominations um but yet i do think catholicism and christianity set themselves apart from yeah like the other abrahamic faiths um by being um like oh but you know like you don't have to do much to be a christian (laughs) you have to live this way but you don't have to you know follow certain rules it's easy to do this once your heart's in the right place kind of thing and once Um, you've accepted jesus as savior yeah right and that sort of follows with the midnight mass because the other like big metaphor going through the story right is um alcoholism and addiction to uh vampirism right Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um the addiction essentially um and battling addiction and what you personally have to do to have that strength of will right to battle addiction and that for a lot of these um, good people, you know, in quotes, these good Christian people, actually their will is is no, nowhere near the strength that it requires, for right? Sure. Like that's yeah. what you see at the end um, that they've given in. Clearly they don't have the strength of will to, uh, to, to like actually think about who would like, what makes a person good, what makes a person bad. Do, does a person's actions solely con like does a person's action in the past solely constitute their uh, worthiness as a human being etc right we're now back to cancel culture oh no um <laughs> but right instead of asking those questions they find really easy outs right like right the right. right bible verse that they can quote at this time mm-hmm. um to justify their selfish desires whatever i was talking to my brother about it and he's like oh i felt like i was back like school like i had to leave 
<laughs> it is. It's really too many, too many like references. Too many masses, I think. <laughs> well, and that's actually what Midnight Mass, I think what uh, it really does it well um, is representing like 21st century Catholicism. Um, yeah. The, the sort of like, I feel like in this day and age, priests, um, and, and this is not just the 21st century, this is like post-Vatican II as well. Uh, priests want to make the mass accessible and they, and they understand that society is um, progressing in an, in an atheistic direction or an agnostic direction. And so then um, I feel like how priests are trained in a seminary nowadays is to be like, you should be preaching. Like the focus is really on preaching. The focus is really on the sermon. And it's sort of like, you know, we, as, as a religious institution are here to like maintain the rituals of Catholicism, whatever, but like your, the focus should be on the preaching, on the sermons. And I think that that, um, I have no idea. I've never been to a seminary. So I've, I was, as a St. Mary's student, I was banned in Rome. So <laughs> I, that, but that's my assumption of like what goes on in a seminary and yeah. in seminary in school. Um, it is sort no, of, I think that's certain that's definitely true and midnight mass uh represents that very well because he he the monsignor's most emotive moments and his like the way that he sort of hooks people is through his preaching and you can tell Mm -hmm. and that's another another like good and evil blending is like um you can tell that he is authentic in his preaching i understand how he would be susceptible to like a vampire (laughs) a vampire attack (laughs) Um, and how he would turn this around, justify it, because he, that's sort of what the, what priests are trained to do is to like make arguments. I, I mean, that's in the end what a lot of preaching comes down to. It's a persuasive yeah. argument. Yeah. Perfect. I was just going to say priests are, they are good at rhetoric. <laughs> They're masters of rhetoric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And occasionally in the show, like he'll have these homilies where he's like really kind of getting into a, uh, like he's really getting like zealous and like the crowd is amping yeah. up which to me is like usually not what I think of when I think of like a, a catholic mass yeah um but it was like this nice like no like we're building a, a like a, a cultish like yeah. um following here so um yeah I mean I one thing I did, oh, I did have to ask you about this. Um, <laughs> there is a chunk, at least one episode, um, sort of that deals a lot with the science of vampirism. As opposed to last season, obviously we talked about trying to like explain away um, or explain what's happening. And obviously mm-hmm. there was some of that with the the scientific um sections because there's one character who's a doctor who um is analyzing the blood and what's happening with the blood and how this could be a like a pandemic that's going through um and she's the one town skeptic aside from the muslim character right yeah yeah so what was your question sorry well i just i want would love to hear your thoughts on it um especially like how that relates to either over explaining, you know, the, the sort of fantastical elements. Um, but, it, you know, at the same time I say that, and then like a lot of her stuff 
in the end, her, her theories didn't really prove to be that important besides the sunlight, um, which they already know. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear. I, it's interesting because when I, I mean, I loved it and I thought that that was, I absolutely, this is so nerdy, but I absolutely love when there is like scientific analysis of vampirism because it makes it more real. You're like, yeah, it could happen. <laughs> Blood diseases exist. But I think that um, I just, I'm gonna, it's fine. I'm gonna out myself right now. As the, I say that as though I haven't already, but I wish vampires are real so bad. Um, and I, I can explain that in a second. I'm like the annoying kid, you know, the kids who are like, I'm just waiting. My Hogwarts letter is late. Um, no shade to those kids. No shade to those kids who think that their Hogwarts letter is late. Like that's fine. But um, I'm like that, but with vampires. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, but I actually, I really love that. And it's, it's interesting that you say that I'm curious to know why you, I, well, I guess I can I see your point about how it's not super important to the plot, to the rest of the story, aside from the whole like burning skin. But to me, it, feel, it felt really important because it was like a really, um, the, especially this like de-aging process, the way that they explained mm-hmm. in the blood, like um, uh, I forget how she explains it, but she's saying like, basically there's something that adheres to the blood cell that takes away whatever was degenerating it and Mm -hmm. um uh but then what it does is it makes you susceptible to like sunburn or some shit like that Uh, it like makes you severely anemic right right and um it makes you highly flammable my my one I mean and okay so like I I think again in my like my dream as uh you and all of the listeners know my dream is to eventually like write a story about a vampire um oh I thought you were gonna say become a be- vampire no <laughs> that would be actually unhinged Do we I can't <laughs> keep going you want to write a vampire novel that's a that it's- is a dream that that, that is a dream that could happen that could be real okay. but I you know I do the reason why I feel shame about, uh, and I shouldn't feel shame necessarily but the reason why I feel shamed about wanting to write a vampire novel novel is because people think well you just want to write a romance like an erotic like lustful romance novel but it doesn't have to be that way anyway whatever okay um no I do not want to eventually become a vampire <laughs> I'm just gonna put that on the record uh <laughs> I mean interview with the vampire like makes it pretty clear that it's like a hellish existence back to midnight mass (laughs) (laughs) we could do like a one-off episode like a nice little like treat all about it um as if we haven't (laughs) talked about vampires enough um oh I know I know my train of thought where my train of thought was going is that the flammability of the um of the people that was like the one that was the one place where the whole vampire dramaturgy of Midnight Mass fell apart for me. I thought it was really corny that they just like, bur- like mm. that you could see them burst into flames and like become dust. I generally, I thought that that was corny in Interview with the Vampire. Um, I don't like it. I do- and that is another example of like, less is more. And you don't have yeah. to show all of the, you don't have to show all of the stuff, all of the shit that goes down kind of thing for it to be like that denigrates the scariness of vampires and the, profundity of vampires if I do if I may say so um 
like, but I do appreciate this explanation of, again, this like blood disease. I think that in the 19th century, it was a little bit, um, we can look back because we have perspective of like uh, STDs or syphilis, right. things like that. And, and we can sort of look back with like, oh, this was a very, the definition of vampirism in the 19th century was very um, puritanical and founded on um, promiscuity panic, I guess. Um, right, yeah. And, and, and yeah, I think that this like being really cut and dry in, the, in Midnight Mass, being like, this is something that adheres to blood cells. This is something that like makes you very anemic to the point where you need to drink blood. Um, I, I liked that a lot. I thought that, it, I think that it's like really, really important to, again, to also blur the lines too. Mm -hmm. Like it humanizes and it isn't just like, it, it takes it out of this like fantasy realm. Right, and it, I would say instead of like, answering every question that is brought up by having the existence of vampires like it doesn't tell you how this vampire demon came to be you know like right right there's obviously still like these fantastical elements even when there is an idea of how maybe it's working within someone's body you know like how it, it functions as a disease so that was really nice I thought um mm -hmm. but in general, and I would say the one other major aspect of the science is that they they know that they need to isolate, like they cannot allow this off the island because it will get to, you know, it will spread. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that does sort of, that does feature largely in the last few. That's a catalyst for the like few people who aren't in the cult, basically, and yeah. their actions. So I take it back. But then there's also <laughs> this... <laughs> I just thought it was, I just, I didn't, you know, you didn't need to take it back, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's the other question is then, okay, that I like that Midnight Mass asked. It wasn't just the question of the Monsignor's morality, you know, mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. the congregation's morality and, and how you as a participant, like what, what you must do, what you must decide um, when faced with atrocities essentially like when yeah. faced with a moral decision um yeah and yeah. do you go with with the crowd or are you able to make look inside and, and make those decisions you know yourself I was just wanted to clarify I mean that it's like um a reflective conscious choice not like do your own research um <laughs> which I realize it maybe came across as. Uh, I don't mean it like that. <laughs> Do your own research on vampirism and decide for yourself, okay? Uh, <laughs> Again, it makes me think of, um, I know I've brought this up on other episodes um, or on one other episode about the CDC uh, ad campaign about zombies. They like used the zombie yeah. trope to, yeah. Right. Do your own research on vampirism. Um, <laughs> I mean, but however, like the, I, I understand, I, I, that clarification is, is great, but it also is to a, to a point that I was going to make, um, because like, you know, the, 
zealous fervor of like do you, what what the phrase do your own research has come to mean is unfortunate in yeah. this moment in time and um you know who's I don't know if it's gonna blow over if it's gonna I don't know what's gonna happen um but but there is like there is a real importance and sort of practicality of being able to say like am I gonna follow massive groups of people or am I gonna like actually think about what's in front of me because I do think that there is um there's indoctrination on the part of like spiritual like to me Mm -hmm. midnight mass is also also becomes about like okay are we going to follow this priest because he is a powerful member of the clergy or like now we understand now that once the full scope of the uh of the issue becomes known is that then it's just like okay like are we going to stand up to this guy like obviously it's taboo that there's a social taboo of standing up to this priest because he's a monsignor because he's like high up in the in the ecclesiastical monarchy or whatever um but we can't just like blindly follow him and it's like a uh and again this cultish um the cult aesthetic of it is like you can't just blindly follow I do think that that's a problem that can be a problem in an agnostic or atheistic society as well um deifying politicians deifying people Mm -hmm. who are um like appointed as like directors of whatever people who are like advising on public policy there you like it's really um you have to have like a level of skepticism and yeah I mean like do you remember Cuomo sexuals oh my god (laughs) oh I'm sorry you're saying something nice and I every time I just ruin everything no but But that's a perfect example exactly yeah we're just it, like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. And I think that like, and, and I think that there's like an unnecessary deification of, um, mm. of Fauci as well. And, oh, for sure. and uh, people seem to have forgotten. Like there was also like the whole, I, I don't know, people, it, it gets into a really bad place when you, when you are worshiping who, like whatever leader is in charge. And yeah, I mean, I think it's like this weird, like you have to sh- tell everyone that you're in a, you're a fan of XYZ. Um, but yeah, like you're in a fan club for this politician. It's like, no one needs you to be in a fan club for this person. Right. right. No. And electing someone doesn't mean that you are like ride or die, you know, believe in yeah. them, whatever. Mm. Right. I do think there is a, like a religious fervor around um, lots of figures on both sides. And it's absolutely really, really creepy. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of just, uh, no, we are holding this person accountable (laughs) no matter the party. Right. Right. And it gets to a point it's, it's, I think that, yeah, I wonder a lot about like why there is such big cult energy (laughs) in like this, in, in the last, particularly like the last like five to six years it's a huge cultish energy and um and it's and it's really scary and I guess I guess media is to blame for it because the media is not necessarily big media is not necessarily writing stories and narrativizing about like neighborhood association meetings or like small community board meetings things where like policies Mm -hmm. are 
discussed and enacted and actually have an effect on people like though the sort of like grassroots there's a fetishization of grassroots organizing oh yeah but like the actual grassroots organizing is what ends up like why people can function day to day um Mm -hmm. and so but then you have this like larger um the larger society that has to function which is like a nation state and like nations like communicating with each other and um and so and politicians have to play a role like the large leader politicians have to play a role but then where is your soul gonna find transcendence (laughs) (laughs) that seems like a good place to like close out the season and we can still go into trad catholic corner of course (laughs) a little light fun (laughs) what the fuck is going on on the internet now (laughs) Um... (laughs) in the hell that is the internet (laughs) can we find any salvation christian talk would say so christian tiktok would they're here to save your soul david ladding the fundies david 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 the fundies yes (laughs) my my girls are girl defined (laughs) we're girls they're girls we should talk about (laughs) (laughs) we should do a collab just kidding um one of them is named Bethany oh no but yeah so sad Christian mom sad Christian mom yes sad sad Christian mom is the the Twitter handle of the artist Linguid Noda um who is like it's kind of hard to describe her music but I guess like doom metal would be (laughs) yeah the easiest way to get that across um very like, experimental yeah um and a very cool lady but uh her online presence and I would say you know her music as well her look um is definitely this like sort of gothic Catholicism Catholicism Christianity mm-hmm. um vibe which I find to be really interesting and yeah she's sad Christian mom on Twitter and she talks about Christianity a good deal um sometimes her music feels like they're like sort of chant like yeah Um, and I think she's even said that like performing for her like is like an exorcism oh wow yeah so there's I I mean I think there there's like some real faith there Mm-hmm. But it's also really hard to tell, like, where faith ends and, like, total performance begins. Um, not saying that faith isn't a performance a lot of times, but, like, where, if some of it's ironic, if some of it's, like, just playing on certain themes and the drama of them, um, it's, again, I mean, it's, like, the question from the first episode of the season is, like, what but where and it's like so hard to tell mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but she's fascinating <laughs> yeah yeah I was gonna say it's like it, it is like coming full circle with um with like the like the I need God in every moment of my life and like the the um the God meme makers <laughs> um she she feels she has that same sort of vibe where it's just like her artistry is 
playing on Catholic imagery, playing on Christian imagery and making Christianity her brand. But then like, you don't know how much of it is real, how much of it is a cosplay. <laughs> and and Catholic drag is that is where that comes in. Totally. And it's not like Madonna where it's like very oh, right. clear. Or Lady Gaga for that. Right, just for, yeah. to be provocative um, and to make, you know, to get the attention and make, you know, piss certain sections of the Catholic church off or something. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely not that, you know, it's, it's not like that. Um, it, it's so not clear cut <laughs> for like all of the meme makers for, for her, her sort of performances. It, it makes me like, I mean, you have to delve into it to like try to figure, make sense of it. And you still won't know. Mm -hmm. And you have to, um, parse through actual true like catholic tradition i guess mm -hmm. in order to see if if they're being serious or if they're not i don't know or that's just me maybe <laughs> like that's no, just I me and my totally like true. nerd nerd out tendency is to be like wait a minute does this like where is this fall in line in, in terms of like catholic doctrine right like does this actually correspond to something is this a total misrepresentation of something else. Um, this is super superficial. Yeah, and it makes you engage with with the content. Mm -hmm. Much the same way that, I, I'm sorry, I cut you off, but much the same way that drag, yeah. like a gender performance would make you like question, what is femininity? What is masculinity? Exactly, yeah. And I think because there's requirements to demonstrate faith, right? Like yeah. you have to, in a lot of ways in those institutions, you have to show how you are Christian. Um, this then like, I feel like really blows up that feeling for me. I'm like, oh, like, yeah. A lot of times in these places, faith is entirely a performance. So you have no idea, of course, the inner workings of someone or sometimes even your own self because yeah. you are, you, you're not separating ritual from from belief, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you would hope that like people like in this, in this um, idea of like the importance of confession or reconciliation to me, the hope of like watching a character like in the Sopranos or any other like Italian, uh, Italian American like story yeah. where it's like the mafia is going, they like do their organized crime, they do the crime and then they go to confession. And it's like, what you hope for is like, isn't, isn't there something more than just this like rote sacrament or like the, the ritual, right. like, aren't you actually evaluating um, or isn't the priest helping you to like actually evaluate your actions? Um, and, and that, which is what, to me, what makes like Italian mafioso tropes really interesting too, or like storylines. Mm -hmm. um, because again, it's this like, where's the, if you're gonna play with this like imagery do your characters have, um, do your characters have like a struggle, a moral struggle? Who's going to save your soul, man? <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing. Jewel, isn't that like a semi-Christian album? I have no idea. I it, feel like I read that somewhere, but I, I can't like say that for a fact. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just like, I choose to believe. <laughs> um. <laughs> also, Saved is a great movie. Oh, it is a really good movie. It is really good. That's got to be 
gotta gotta promote that hard on the socials yeah which people should uh follow us sad girl syllabus oh, yeah on instagram <laughs> on it yeah we have an instagram where we actually post fun things um but we're also you know do the subscribe thing do the rate thing on wherever you listen to podcasts because it does help us out and it helps us make more seasons which we will be coming back for so yeah thank you to everyone who's already done that and uh please do if you like the show yay (laughs) well what a great um season two Mm -hmm. thanks for listening everybody yes we'll have more soul saving content next season Harry just had praying hands. Um. (laughs) Bless you, my child. Prayers up, as they say. (laughs) Well, uh, God bless. Bye, Mary. Bye.